It's in Nagano, the good Olympics. <laughs> Still, this one in Utah was okay because I got to show the world my signature move, the dinner roll. There it is. Pretty cool, huh? Pretty cool. Pretty cool. I know, I know. And they got a name for a performance like that. It's called Fourth Place. <laughs> yeah, but that's cool because I've gotten a lot of support from fans. Here's a letter I saved from a seven-year-old boy. His name's Gary. Dear Mr. Mosley, I like to see you ski. I like your dinner roll. You spun a lot. Still, they only awarded you 26.78 points. And though your time was 28.56, they certainly should have taken into account the increased time you spent in the air and weighted the average against the 12.5% of the score that was awarded the roll itself. It's morally reprehensible. Your friend, Gary, seven, small town USA. Promised I'd read that. But you know, coming in fourth really isn't that bad, Gary. In fact, we have our own ceremonies. Okay. Here you see the ceremony you've seen. It's an amazing moment, being up there, receiving the medal. It really is. And here's the fourth place ceremony at McGinty's Tavern, just across the Nevada State. Yeah, 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 we'd like to get our swerve on. Hey, there's Korean speed skater Kim Dong-sung. Yeah, he was disqualified, but we let him hang out with us anyway. Back at the stadium, you'll see one of the most important aspects of the national ceremony, the national flag raising. Again, very moving. I mean, getting up there. But back at our ceremony, we had a different kind of raising. Incidentally, those aren't strippers. That's the Swedish female bobsled team. Also losers, we consoled each other all night. And here's our closing ceremony. Seriously, guys! Seriously, the owner just called the cops, okay? They're coming to shut us down! We gotta get out of here! We gotta get out of here! So congratulations to all first, second, and third place winners. Of course, I'm pretty happy with my consolation prize, kicking it here on Saturday Night Live. We got a great show for you. Outcast is here. You have to be willing to rewatch a movie. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Their defense is atrocious. I'm sort of the rock star. Tiso is the official watch of the NBA. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about aggregation. I'm oddly intrigued by neck tattoos. You know, we love China. We love the plan here. It comes a dunk. Shut up and listen. You think you're better than me? So it's it's the first night of the Paris competition, but they say they announce that it's night four of the championships because, of course, there are other, you know, there's singles, uh, men's and women's singles competitions. But this is the first night of the Paris competition. So there are 12 pairs competing. Only the top two make it to Albertville, France, six weeks from now for the Winter Olympics. So here we are, night number four of the U.S. National Championships. The country's 12 best couples are in the arena tonight. Only two of these couples will go on to the Olympics in Albertville, France, six weeks from now. Tonight, we're seeing two and a half minutes in the compulsory moves before tomorrow night's long program. 
tonight. They're seeing the two and a half uh, minutes of uh, compulsory moves that make up the short program before tomorrow night's long program. Because uh, as anyone who knows figure skating knows, there are two uh, programs that make up your final score. Doug is clearly very nervous. This is, uh, you know, the first time he's competed as a as a figure skater on you know this large of a scale um and uh he's feeling those butterflies just like his old hockey playing days you look nervous you look really nervous how nervous are you how nervous are you now, important to note, in the little montage before that moment that we're about to discuss, interesting edit choice that I only just noticed <clears throat> at the 1 hour 23 second mark is they show a wide shot of the rink where we are watching the other skaters skate. And they show a couple, I've watched it a few times because I'm like, what? What is going on? That the two skaters skating at us into the frame, we see a giant American flag in the background, there's balloons, we see all the judges that we're watching. And the camera is locked in position, and two skaters in blue come skating at us, and they start to do a synchronized twist. And yeah. the editors employ something where they hard cut at the exact same moment as other figure skaters that are doing Mid that same spin. spin which is yeah. subtly telling you that every single com- person in competition is doing the same old shit. Yep. But they're just telling That's a really you subconsciously. Good point. That everyone out there is doing the same tired, boring routine that we all know, and yep. that they are it's about very to have ma- robotic, very programmed down under for everyone in that audience. They're going to feel a rumble in their tumble when Doug gets on the ice to give them something fresh. But yeah. they're telling you subtly right now, every single performer doesn't matter what their names are; they're doing the same boring ass nationals type routine. Yeah, that's a really, really good, uh, good point, uh, Christian. I'm trying to look back now. Yeah, as Doug said earlier in the movie, the costumes, the music, everything is going to be different. You'll see. You'll see. Those were the those were the words that he said to his brother Walt when Walt was, you know, a little little skeptical of this whole endeavor. But uh, yeah, that's a great, great observation. Very Everyone subtle. else is the st- is same the same stale, stayed old program. But they're about to get their whole fucking worlds rocked, aren't they? But are they? Because Doug is looking pretty nervous, Chris. Yeah. So um, yeah, Doug vomits. <laughs> yeah. He 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 Ralphs. He Ralphs. He yeah. Ralphs. But he says it. In a he way Ralphs way. and rallies. Yeah, it's a it's a boot and rally. Feel better. What is wrong with you? I always get tight before a game. Put it this way. When I played hockey, I used to have two helmets. One for the game, and one for just before. This just coming up now? Bad choice of words. We yep. learn all about his performance anxiety, his nervousness. Um, he talks about how when he played hockey, he actually had one helmet for wearing on the ice, another helmet for vomiting pregame. Yeah. Which seems unnecessary. Uh, no, you could probably just use a gentlemen, trash can. I was gonna say, I'm gonna, does, or a toilet. Now that I'm even. thinking about this, like if you know that you compulsively vomit, like yeah. you could just have like, a trash can nearby. Like yeah. you don't have to do that in a spare helmet. Gentlemen, I would like to throw something out right now. It's oh, related boy. to that line. Doug says, I always get tight before a game. Let me put it this way. I used to have two sets of helmets, one for the game and one for just before, implying that he used to vomit into his helmet and would have a spare nearby. Now, what happens in the first scenes of this movie? Doug goes out on the ice and gets slammed into the ice in the flimsiest helmet we've ever seen. I would like to suppose that Doug vomited into his good helmet (laughs) and was like, oh crap, I have to use my backup non-vomit helmet. My puke helmet. My my puke helmet. My Fisher-Price puke helmet. (laughs) Yeah, That's why it was a tinkery toy that was useless. He had vomited into his regulation helmet and as a result needed to get the flimsy non-puked backup and oh, this man. friends is how he blinded himself Cooper XL7 strong to provide ultimate protection the liner molds to your head giving you maximum comfort 
a ventilation system designed to keep you cool with no excess weight to slow you down. It adjusts to size in seconds with the unique Cooper lock. The steel face guard attaches easily with a new clip system. The world plays hockey with Cooper. <laughs> After being concussed against that glass, yeah, that, that helmet rotating on the ice, it looked like a helmet you would eat ice cream out of at a yes. game. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, the, yeah, there was soft serve I think that's and sprinkles a really, really on sound the ice. Theory. Yeah, so I wow. think I think it was a classic back. barf helmet mix up. And that led to the 18% loss in his peripheral vision. Yes. And he is vomited behind just a curtain, not a trash can. He just goes behind a curtain and vomits. Didn't have a helmet, didn't have a bucket, didn't have a toilet, (laughs) just right onto the floor behind a curtain. Now, Anton flashed the thumbs up because this man has killed people behind Soviet lines. He doesn't (laughs) care. He's like, we're good. It's not the first time he's seen the insides of a man. He has seen the insides of a man sprayed everywhere. Now, Kate, Kate has that keep it together smile. Just like keep it together. Keep oh, I love that little this. smile that she has at one nineteen. Yeah. She's like, eh, she does like a kind little, of, kind of like a gopher smile, being like, "What is happening?" I yeah. got a smile for the judges, so they think I'm. What good. is my life moment? <laughs> Meanwhile, a child figure skater is staring at Doug as he vomits into drapes. <laughs> yeah, there's a little girl like right there, and mm-hmm. then you see like the the security staff who are like, "We're gonna have to fucking clean that up, aren't we?" <laughs> the working man. He's put the. He's definitely Doug is doing his part to put the working man to work. <laughs> he's yeah. like, I just put some vomit for the boys to clean up and. <laughs> Get that union wage. <laughs> Back of the penalty box, we would just throw some uh, wood chips on top of that and go right on with our drinking. There is also a freeze frame that, oh man, this should be the poster for the episode of this podcast. Uh, it's at one uh, hour, one minute, and 30 seconds, and it's the crew of photographers. Christian, I'm right there. And yeah. these gentlemen, I want to know everything. There is a guy. Can I ask you to go guys? one second? Can I ask you to go one second further back? Sure. One second. One hour. One second and twenty nine seconds. Sure. You have a photographer with a mustache who sees Doug vomit and is licking his lips. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Again. Oh my God! And you're right. Licking, yeah, he's licking his chops. <laughs> he definitely licks his lips. He has a he thin. Has he has a pencil lens. mustache yeah. and a giant he has ponytail mullet. To sort and of imply, again, like, he's seen oh, every fuck. detail of what he's, has just gone down. Yeah. And he, he is absolutely <laughs> he is licking his chops. Swanson presents four myths about hungry men. One, all hungry men are big brutes. Wrong. Excuse me. Many are under six feet who say, please. Please. Two, all hungry men are jocks. Not true. Some are toms and dance. Three, anyone can be a hungry man. Well, four, hungry men are always hungry. No, after a hungry man dinner, they are satisfied and full. Hungry man, it's dinner with the Swansons. Only much more hungry. He's looking. Yeah, he is starving. <laughs> he wants all of that that he is seeing. So, oh yes, there's three gentlemen, all of whom have mullets. The middle guy with a pencil. That, like is, a the, weird that is the thirstiest, thirstiest thirst. stare that we've seen since Brian saw Doug for the first time. Absolutely. This is the most chemistry I've seen between any two performers in this film. Uh, Cameraman oh licking his chops and Doug vomiting into a drape uh, for a best ensemble cast. <laughs> Unbelievable. So the direction there is... You know, so so um, Paul Michael Glazer is just <laughs> saying to this actor, again, so you're absolutely starving. You haven't eaten in weeks. <laughs> you see this man. He is just hurled everywhere. And you are <laughs> famished. And action. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Your eyes are as big as saucer plates. That's yeah. right. And uh, Kate's concerned. She's like, oh, my sure. God, are you going to be able to do this? Look at me. Mosley, Mr. Dorsey, you're on. Look at my eyes, look at my eyes. Okay, now smile. Concentrate on my forehead. Okay, now look at me and smile. Yeah, bigger. Okay, now breathe. Breathe! Just don't breathe on me, okay? Look, it goes away. The worst it ever was. I went out and scored six goals in the first two periods. Next escape, Kate Mosley, Douglas Dorsey. Miss Mosley, Mr. Dorsey, please. You know what you're saying is that once we get out there, everything will be fine? It usually only took me about ten minutes to relax. Our program is two and a half minutes. 
So eight minutes after we're done, I'll be fine. You but know? thank God for her. She keeps it together. You know, God bless her. Right. She's the, the the cool head in the group. You know, she gives Doug a, a little helpful, like, hey, like, pull your shit together, man. Like, yep. look at me and smile. Now breathe, breathe. And then there's a little, okay, don't breathe on me since you just vomited a bit, mm-hmm. which is hilarious. Um, and then, yeah, Doug explains the whole, like, oh, I used to do this before games, but then I'd be fine 10 minutes later. And then she's like, our program's only two and a half minutes. And then he makes a little quip about, well, then I'll be fine eight minutes after our, after we skate. Now, um, Ben, he gives a little bit more detail, and I'm going to have to stop you. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Slow so me he down. Gives, no, he, he gives a little bit more detail <laughs> when he answers about her Student not the teacher, needing, <laughs> her not needing to foot, worry about it. medicine. Yep, I'm duly yep, chastened. I'm here. Yep. I've learned. I've learned from the master. I apologize. Yeah. He actually says... Don't worry, it goes away. The mm. worst it ever was, I went out and scored six goals in the first two periods. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen, I went down the sports rabbit hole. Six goals in one game is impressive. That's Doing it in the first two periods is crazy. Let's put this into context. <laughs> Has it happened Doug, before? Doug claims he went out and scored six goals in the first two periods. Mario Lemieux, ever heard of him? Never yeah. pulled this off. He Didn't only scored a max of five goals in any one game. Exactly. game. They need a big game from Lemieux because once a team... Lemieux centering. Oh. Score! Mario Lemieux centering pass. Tip for tap. Hope check away. Lemieux out in front of the right. Broughton trying to cut the angle off. Lemieux and Broughton. Lemieux in. Score! That's a Mario Lemieux goal. His seventh shorthanded goal of the year. Pittsburgh leads it 2-1. Five-on-three power play for the Pittsburgh Penguins here. They've got the full two minutes. Score! Mario Lemieux, the perfect trick. Lemieux is a perfect hat trick. Three in the first period, and we're only halfway through his fourth hat trick of the year. Lemieux. That's it! From Mario Lemieux, a penalty shot. 6-4 Pittsburgh. Caulfield has Lemieux. He got it to him. Two seconds. He shoots. He scores. It will count. That's what Lemieux's out there for. He did what he gets paid for. First star, Mario Lemieux. Only seven players. Only seven players in all of NHL history have ever had six goals in one game. And the only person to ever score seven goals in one game was by a player named Joe Malone. But it also happened between the years of 1917 and 1924. And half the people on the ice probably had polio. So, you know. (laughs) And now it's time for a brief moment in hockey history with old time hockey. This is the story of Joe the Phantom Malone. Joe Malone was born on February 28, 1890, in a small suburb of Quebec City known as Sillery. Growing up, Malone was a well-rounded athlete, excelling in ice hockey, lacrosse, and baseball. He would start his playing career at the age of 17, playing for various junior teams around Quebec and Ontario. He would start playing professionally for the National Hockey Association at the beginning of the 1910-11 season, scoring 9 goals in 13 games. It was during the 11-12 season where Malone truly broke out and became a superstar, where he would score 21 goals in 18 games, leading the Quebec Bulldogs to their first ever Stanley Cup. The following year, he would play in 20 games, scoring an amazing 43 goals, capturing another cup, and continued to set a record pace, scoring nine times in the first game of the Stanley Cup Finals. The following year, Malone would play in 17 games, scoring 24 times and getting four assists, making him the NHA's league-leading score for three years running. And he would continue to score at an unprecedented pace over the next four seasons, earning another scoring title in 1917. 
1917, the NHL formed, but the Quebec Bulldogs did not join. So Malone found himself wearing a Montreal Canadiens sweater. And that year, he would set his personal best, playing in 20 games and scoring 44 goals. He would play another year in Montreal, but sat out most of the season due to injury. During the 1919-20 season, the Quebec Bulldogs joined the NHL and Malone happily rejoined his hometown team. Malone would have a stellar return and in the last game of the season against the Toronto Maple Leafs, Malone would score seven goals in a game, a record that still stands today. Untouched by the likes of Orr, Esposito, Lemieux, Gretzky, McDavid, and Crosby. I, I gotta assume that <laughs> yeah. it's... So basically, Doug is telling Kate, baby, I'm so good that I am going. I was Mario Lemieux better than Mario Lemieux. I'm yeah. one of seven players in all NHL history. That's how good of a hockey player Doug has established himself to be. I thought it was very important to get... I was like, that statistic seems insane to say. Yeah, it I mean, we were talking cool. college hockey since you know we, he never played pro, but still, I imagine it's just as difficult. How as, difficult? Yeah, you yeah. know, it's um, it is something that is rare—a double hat trick in yeah. two periods. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's all I got, and then they <laughs> they're out on the ice. They're yeah. out on the ice. So cue it up here. We have one oh three twenty. And I'm gonna ask you to turn up the sound. Yep. Yeah. Chris, do you mm-hmm. wanna say it or do you, or should I? Yeah, I'll take care of it. Okay. So here they are, former US champion Kate Mosley and ex hockey star Doug Dorsey at their first nationals. And what a place to make your competitive debut. So the camera slowly zooms in on an extra tight on Moira's face. She is bug-eyed. As we hear, Ben, the zooming of Jeff Scalf's (laughs) My God. Ben. Is that Jeff Scalf's music I hear? Um, Yeah, uh, Pacers jump to an early 6-0 lead, first two minutes of the game. And then I, I have here, Chris, in my notes. There it is. This is the sound... The sound from my nightmares, Chris. This is a sound. Oh, God. <laughs> yep. It's a sound that I knew was coming, but I, I, I thought, you know, I, I, I hoped against hope that maybe, you know, maybe it wasn't real. Maybe it was something that I hallucinated. Maybe it was an actual nightmare I had as a child that didn't exist in real life. Maybe, um, you know, maybe it was all a dream. But, but in fact, no, it was real, Chris. I am talking, of course, about the Market Square Arena race car sound effect. So you remember these car sounds as a child? Here's the thing. I remember them very clearly. I remember uh, constantly, constantly talking about them with my father, Kevin Craw, about how much we hated them, about how annoying they were. Um about how and like so I remember like we had a we had a pretty big TV uh my dad was like a like a kind of an audiophile um back in the day he had like a big record collection so we had like a like a pretty sweet like surround sound uh you know like speaker system in our living room um in uh, in Wilton Connecticut in 1994 you know pretty good audio setup so you could really uh you know watching a, a sporting event on that TV was was pretty great um, and I, I almost want to say, I'm not sure if it was just like a feature of, uh, of our, of our like surround sound speakers or if it like, um, was, if it translated to like the actual read, but I could swear that the race car sound effect actually traveled from like left to right speaker. Like it almost like it went around. I don't know if I'm just like totally like making this up, no, but I, I... like in my head it was like, like the sound actually went in a circle like in the arena. Yeah, yeah. Like it went around like a like a racetrack. Um, or maybe it was just like something that like an effect that I like kind of created in my head uh, through like actual like madness, like 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 a mental break um, that I had where it just felt like it was going around and around in my ears. Uh, I'm not really sure about that. Um, what I am sure of is that I definitely remembered it. And it, and it was one of the most infuriating uh, things to, to ever experience. But, Chris, <laughs> Chris, rewatching this game, it was so much worse than I actually remember. 
I, I mean, I don't know. Again, maybe it was just like, maybe it's just like a, a thing that's faded with time. So maybe it did make me as angry as this, you know, as, as an 11 year old. And I just kind of forgot. It just faded with time. But, but man, rewatching this game and hearing that sound, it was so much more persistent and so much more infuriating than I really, I really had any idea it, it, it could have been. Um, and uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to like kind of keep talking about it sort of throughout this um, because that to me was the literally like the defining sort of feature, uh, like the, the, the takeaway from this entire game was the Market Square Arena race car sound effect. <laughs> I'm suddenly transfixed and brought back to Market <laughs> Holy Square Arena in Indianapolis, shit. Indiana, Christian, for the Knicks Pacers playoff series that took uh, place in 1994. Ben and I can catch you up really quickly, yeah, but basically this... during the pandemic, we rewatched an entire playoff series between the Knicks and the Pacers that took place in 1994. Um, one of the insane sound effects that the Pacers in arena, uh, a PA guy would play were these like zooming race cars. And mm-hmm. it was like, like the Indy cars of the Indianapolis 500. Yeah. The pace. Cars. And they would yeah. zoom around with these like deafening race car noises yep. in the you know yep. home arena of the Pacers. Only when the opposing, you know, away team had the ball on offense. So it was clearly designed to infect and in in infiltrate the mind of the opposing basketball yeah. players. And it was so loud and so distracting. And they would do it, you know, again, only when the away team had the ball on offense so and it was just like it was the sound of torture it was the sound of being in abu Ghraib during <laughs> the iraq war um and i we, i it is the second i heard it like you know how i felt chris but no one else yeah. understands the trauma that yeah. i that yeah. i that it's, i experienced scarring like, now, um, I, yeah. I did look it up this is an actual song that oh, I was this, very curious what the music was. Uh, I looked it up. So this is actually a real song because I was like, this is a very good beat. This is not stock yes. music. Yeah. Um, the, they are skating to a song called The Race by a band called Yellow. The music video is Wait, the, insane. The yellow, like the chukutaka, ch- ch- that yellow? Uh, possibly. Yeah, Y-E-L-L-O. So probably. Yeah, that's the, very um, much the same. The, oh, ch- yeah. Ch- The video, great. Uh, They are skating to the instrumental version of the song. But this song does have lyrics. Yeah, now shut the door, keep down to south, keep down the door, keep down the south. Like this song is insane. Now, meanwhile, Kate Mosley was playing Mozart, (laughs) which means that he was already barking up a tree with like basic metal instrumental <laughs> he won out with yellow the yeah. race he put I'd that say on it wasn't quite a total victory by doug <laughs> in the mozart versus you know stock uh, metallica Death impersonation Leopard. heavy metal um but i would say the uh, a a pop song a contemporary pop song of any kind is a lot closer to what doug was gunning for than what Kate was going for. Um, that's incredible. Agree, this is a phenomenal song choice for a skating totally. routine. It's yeah. honestly, 
this is where I'm like, I love this movie. Like <laughs> everything snaps into place with Doug. Yeah. That he just needed to hear the car sound. Doug, Doug, go vroom, vroom. He just Honestly. needed to hear the car sound to snap into place. For yeah. me, it was like as a kid, it was like, oh, if this is what figure skating could be, then <laughs> sign me up. Rules. Like, this sign is, this me is so cool. Up. Yeah, so, guys, yeah, we, I'm just going to yeah. go ahead and, and tease it right now. I've been foreshadowing it a little bit, uh, right. you know, throughout, but we are going to be doing an entire episode about the musical selections of a one Tanya Harding. Um, <laughs> yes. We'll probably we'll, we Can't could wait. very well is do that, multiple Tanya episodes. Ben, is that on the Patreon, or is that does that go out to the general public? That's a really really good question. We'll I mean, if there is an episode that demands that we set up a Patreon, it might be this one, right? Um, just because of all the music copyright that we will be infringing upon. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's that's going to be happening. So just just going to tease that right now. Yeah, the music that underscores this performance. So we have the racing car engine, and then that single. Wait, yeah, wait. Quick question. Sorry, speed. is the is the race car sound in the original Yellow song? Yes, it is, gentlemen. Not wow. only is it in the song, the video, <laughs> the music video, which you can should Google it. Yellow the race uh, fans of this podcast. It is mostly footage of stock car racing and the performers in yellow. Pantomiming while pretending to be in stock cars that are crashing oh and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. It's great. The, so the racing car engine and then this high speed staccato sort of drum beat. My God, my heart is racing. Racing. This, this, racing. this is this is bank heist music. This is yeah. This I said it's a, it's, a, it's a 60s spy movie. Yeah. Yeah. This is the music you rob a bank to. This is the music you rob Fenway Park listening to. <laughs> Um, this is this is it. I mean, it is high stakes yeah. music, and Doug and Moira they. It's nailed. also kind of cooky, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally, let's, let's, totally. Let's totally. be honest, yeah. Um, they now, nail this double axle, right? They it's nail the double axle. I the think side by side double axles, flawless, double flawless. Yeah. Now, while I think this is a, a credit to Paul Michael Glazer using, I think, lens flare technique, but there's something interesting about like when they're doing this. The what's the, what's the move they're doing at this moment? The uh, the the spin move, it's a the static. Axle. Sh- the axle. They're both mm-hmm. achieving the axle. Uh, there is a shot where like the lights over the American flag overlap and create like a golden link, like the Olympic yeah. linking rings. To me, Ooh, I'm like, right. this is a deliberate choice by Michael Glazer. One hundred three fifty five. Foreshadowing yeah. that this routine is getting them into the Olympics. The golden rings are there. They are on top of them. They double, these two, we have double lens flares creating double, linking cr- rings. Linking rings. That is and fucking phenomenal. Pretty, pretty crazy, right? Like, yeah. I'm like, that gives me the Olympic vibes. And it, yeah, it with seems an American like, flag in the background, and then the ice skates. Like, oh man, that is a that is a sh- it that's seems a painting. deliberate because, like, I think they did a technique because it kind of comes and goes. So I think like this is a Paul Michael Glazer choice to be like, put this on top, give them the flashes that they are heading to the Olympics. I, that wow. is a, a deliberate choice. That is not accident. That is not accident. Is and then it, then it cuts to Anton in a trench coat. Looking at <laughs> Anton like, leering. <laughs> creepily everybody, leering on the side. Is, like, honestly, if you told me, like, oh, so a scene before this, Anton actually died, and this is the ghost of Anton, <laughs> I'd believe you. That's what he is. He's standing there like he couldn't say he's a word. Frozen. frozen. Yeah, he's frozen. completely frozen. He's a statue. Completely frozen, watching them do their routine. And Doug feels it in his loins. Kate feels it in her body that this is working. Side by side, double axles. Here they come. And they nailed them. They nailed them just beautifully. What a night for U.S. pair skating. It's extraordinary. Brian Newman and Lori Pekarovsky into first place. Johnny and Jody Wiedemann skate safely into the number two spot. And out of nowhere, Kate Mosley and Doug Dorsey grab the number three. Two couples are all the United States are allowed to send to the Olympic Games. Tomorrow night's long program should be very exciting. It's like the first time that they've smiled at each other. Yep. And there's like a sudden like feeling of like, holy shit, like this like, actually happened. This. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is... And then Anton has like a very like contented little like exhale like, okay, all of our all of we our work, all of our just, drama. 
Has After that, off. the routine, we don't get to see the rest of it. We just see that they, they nailed it. And the announcers yep. basically tell us that only two, like uh, the out of nowhere, basically they're, they, they've said that it's shocking that Doug, this skater and Kate, the known skater have come out of nowhere to nab third place for night yes. one, but only two couples advance to the Olympics. Third That's place right. ain't going to be enough. Yeah, right. so they're going to have to step it up even further for night two. And Outside quote, tomorrow night's long program should be very exciting. And so we go back to the we go back to the hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're you back. Know, so we so we're teased, right? We have this idea. Hey, they had a great first day. They're they're in the third spot. They nailed that double axle. They got some momentum. But God, this hey, hotel is so sick. Look at this elevator. There, I dude, I know. Oh, great! So it's awesome. Great. Glass it's like elevator, such, pre, like primo eighty spaceship, spaceship yeah, vibes. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the like rows of balconies. It's so cool. Yep. And Doug is upset that this is not. He is. This is where his hockey life is coming in. Why ain't this a double header? Yeah. He's not happy that they have to wait. Ramjet, the rookie over here, he just wants to fucking get in and out and get the job done. <laughs> Let me say from the outset here, I needed to rewatch what I'm going to call the four-play scene here mm-hmm. a few times to mm-hmm. just four-play. process. Man, this overnight thing is brutal. Why can't it be a doubleheader, you know? Short program, long program, same night, boom, we're out of here. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's like enough already. It's like, what's the word? Uh... You know what word I'm looking for? You know what I mean? I don't know. Uh, expectation? No, no. When you... Uh, Anticipation? Excitement? Foreplay. Foreplay. Foreplay? Yeah, you know, like foreplay. Yeah, I know what it means. Well, wouldn't you rather just get right to it? What? Skating. Long program. Chicago. Nationals. Flowers. Sleep. I'd rather sleep. Sleep. Yeah, this is important because, um, you know, uh, Doug essentially says, why can't it be a double header? It's like, you know, what, what word am I looking for? What word am I looking for that I'm feeling? And Kate starts throwing out anticipation, excitement, and Doug goes, foreplay. <laughs> yes. Foreplay. I'm thinking of foreplay. And Kate, of all the words foreplay. you could pick, Doug. Of all the words you could have picked, what's that anticipation he's feeling? It feels like foreplay that they can't just get out there and do it. And in Kate's mind, she's just hearing foreplay, 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 foreplay. <laughs> she hears the the hail, uh, the the hollows of hail in her mind. Yeah, she sees that twinkle foreplay. in her former fiance's eye, and she goes ghostly white. Yeah. She is horrified that he just used the word foreplay to describe the anticipation of night two, and she goes, "What did you say?" He goes, you know, uh, foreplay. Like, why do we, why can't we just get to it? You know, skating, nationals, yeah. long form. But it's too late. Kate's foreplay, got- you know, the thing that I've literally never done in my entire <laughs> life uh, in a yeah. romantic or sexual sense because yeah. I've never had to because women literally just lie down and <laughs> let me do whatever I want. So why would I need that? Yes. So it is right there. Hale has set the trap. You two have something going on between you. You're fighting all the time. There's sexual tension. Kate's like, no way. Whatever you're seeing is crazy. Hale says, foreplay. 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 Just echoing in her, within her, the, the, the inner walls of her, of her skull. walls of her skull. The empty ice skating rink of her mind. It's echoing all around. <laughs> Bouncing off those and glass boards back and forth like a hockey puck. Foreplay. Foreplay. And then Doug, whammo, he shortly thereafter says what Hale was thinking. I'm all about that foreplay, baby. And she knows. Oh, it's great. great. (laughs) There's more. There's another side of the story. There's another side of the story here, too, which is Moira. And let's be honest. She is horrified. Yeah. I mean, she is very uncomfortable throughout this entire interaction. She looks like she just saw like the ghost of her dead mother. Yes. yes. <laughs> she is deeply uncomfortable. Um, and Doug is going on and on about foreplay. Four play. And how, so like Ben was saying earlier, <laughs> yeah. 
you know, this is over the course of two days, the Nationals. There's the short program and the long program. We just did the short program. Tomorrow is the long program. Dougie just wishes they could do it as a doubleheader. It feels like foreplay. Foreplay. And, um, just like, so, like the Sox always do. Yeah. So <laughs> he's going through this whole thing. And, of course, at the end of it, Moira, deeply uncomfortable. She's at her bedroom. She's trying to escape Doug as quickly as possible. What does he do? <laughs> he gives her flowers. Mm-hmm. As she's like sprinting. She's basically like trying to get the key in the door to get away from him as quickly as possible. Yep. She is so uncomfortable by this whole interaction. And um, Doug, it's just flying over his head. He does not un- you know, just <laughs> read understand. the room. He's Doug, like, what? Read the room. Read the yeah. room now. And he's just mouth breathing in the hallway, confused. Yeah. And yeah. Um, we smash cut to day two, night two. Ryan Newman and Lori Pekarovsky. Beautiful skating. This assures them a place on the Olympic team. The remaining spot will go to one of the two teams left to skate, Mosley Dorsey or the Wiedermans. Kate Mosley and Doug Dorsey. What a performance. Look at that sit spin. This crowd knows it's seeing history in the making. We're in for a major upset tonight. Brian and Lori are out there, and uh, they're just crushing it. They are absolutely owning it. Uh, the crowd is loving it, eating it up. They have secured the number one spot in a trip to Albertville, lock, stock, and barrel, no question about it. They are in. They're going. But the second spot is still up for grabs. It's going to come down to the Mosley-Dorsey pair or the Wiedermans, who, mm-hmm. as we remember, are the twins who may induce sugar shock. Uh, it's kind of weird that they don't set up a rivalry with, like, Spindler, uh, you know, who's the the potential partner <laughs> who spurned yeah. Kate earlier. They just kind of missed that opportunity, I guess. But whatever, no worries. Spindler's never heard, to be heard from again. Uh, so it's it's uh, Kate and Doug and the, and the Wiedermans. So Kate and Doug go out there, and they do a great job. They yeah, nail it. They nail they, it, and I got to say, a little surprising. A very traditional question? routine. Very traditional. But yeah, before that's we a get good to this, point. Yeah. Can I just ask one quick question here, Christian? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like you have, an, you have a good eye for this. So Brian Newman and Pekarovsky. Mm-hmm. Um, look at their routine. Are those, aren't those the original actors performing those stunts? Likely, I could see that because um, I feel like Brian looks like, like a real skater. <laughs> He's probably yeah, just a real skater. Brian, hmm. Brian looks like a real skater. And isn't that Pekarovsky who's hoisted in the air? You can mm-hmm. see her face. Yep. You can. I'm pretty sure She's that's the She's very similar. If it's not actually her. If Good stunt her, double. Then that's Good yeah, then it's a very... It's exactly definitely like Brian. Brian is for Brian, sure right? the one skating. Now, I am going to bring up... Um, a later Olympic event that I feel uh, deserves a mention <clears throat> that is not the world of figure skating, but it deals with something about shaking up the way things are done in the Olympics um, and how difficult that is. I think night one's performance was Doug Dorsey oh, yeah, and Kate flashing too. what's to come with they're like, we are going to rock your world. And what happens? They come in third place. These are not great marks. I expected much higher. Evidently, so did the crowd. It's hard to explain to people outside the sport, but sometimes the scores reflect more than what's happening out there on the ice. Well, we know the judges have their favorites, and they obviously don't include Kate Mosley and Doug Dorsey. It looks like the Wiedermans will join Newman and Pekarovsky on the Olympic team. This is horseshit! What kind of crap are they trying to pull? We skated our asses off out there. You call this a sport? Despite us knowing, like, this is cool, this is fresh, this is innovative skating out there, they ultimately get third. Night two. What do they do? The song, very much a classic standard song you'd hear. Their routine looks totally perfunctory. They are playing to the judges. Now, there was a a skier in the Olympics that I will uh, reference that I think is worth bringing up. 
uh, who ultimately had this same dilemma of trying to shake up a, a form of Olympic sport in the Winter Games and how difficult that was. And that man's name was Johnny Mosley. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember Johnny Mosley, but Johnny sure Mosley yeah. was the American freestyle skier who was part of the Olympics uh, and he attempted to do something that he would do slalom skiing and like freestyle aerial jumps. And there were very traditional moves you were supposed to do as a skier. You'd go off, you'd do the iron Eagle. The, there were very specific moves you could do. You could do a little twisty and Johnny Mosley said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm doing a new move called the dinner roll that was based off Mm. of snowboarding. And it was against the rules and Johnny Mosley goes out, and I remember this was the Nagano Olympics, 1998. He goes out into the moguls competition and just does a traditional move to start and then goes down and he ultimately, um, <clears throat> he does the dinner roll, which is this insane twisting move that's very much never been seen in the sport. And what happens? He really, I don't think he won. I, he he basically got a pretty low marks because it was against the rules. <laughs> And mm-hmm. what was interesting about that guy is that he had his second run and he could have just gone back to a traditional knowing full well the judges were like not into it. They weren't going to give him the points he deserved. And Johnny Moser, like a total badass, did the same move again knowing full well he was going to lose the Olympics. No more I am proposing to Johnny Mosley today when he wins the gold. I'm going home with him and we're getting married. Let's go, Johnny. We want to see the big fat dinner roll. Let's get fired up for this little thing. Our next competitor, the defending Olympic Oguls champion and world championship bronze medalist from Tiburon, California, wearing bib number 16 and the U.S. freestyle skier, Johnny Mosley. Get him now. Olympian ready. Three, two, one. approval point of like this is old and this is new I am right and you are wrong and I feel like Doug Dorsey is the Johnny Mosley of figure skating and in in the nationals they give us a flavor of what's to come but it doesn't win it doesn't win they come in third place and night two night two they go you know what we gotta go a little tried and true just to make it to the Olympics Mm. that's my theory about Johnny Mosley and Doug Dorsey and uh, the 90s uh, dinner rolls and moves. Did they ever explain, like, why they outlaw the dinner roll? Because uh, that's, you know, a thing that has also, you know, existed in, in, in other sports, including figure skating. Um, and there's, like, you know, there's obviously some moves that are outlawed for safety purposes, which we'll mm-hmm. get to. Um, but I wonder if, like, if it was just, like, oh, it's too... Yeah, is it, is it is it too dangerous? Like we don't want people attempting this stuff. I don't know. I think I think he eventually did. He so he did win a gold medal, but like it was not in the runs. I, I think I recall him like not getting a high score because of that move, and I think he had to eventually. He challenged the International Skiing Federation to change its policy to allow athletes to perform in like X Games. Uh, he he basically had to prove that these kind of moves had any value in a sport that was really rigid about what kind of moves could be uh, done or what what was considered good versus not good. And this is something you still see in a lot of these kind of really uh, stuffy scored events is that you're being judged for hypercritical stuff. But if you try something new, you end up getting a bad score because you're doing something that's never been done. And therefore, it's not judged accordingly it's not judged as being great because it's just there's no points for it you're like oh they did something different so i I think there's something to be said about what uh doug i feel doug and kate play it safe on the second run here 
at the 1992 Nationals is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, we don't hear what song that they play because there's just like kind of a generic, you know, generic. film score playing yeah. throughout this whole it's just a montage <clears throat> of um Brian and Laurie and then we see Doug and Kate. Um so we we don't really get like a full sense of their of their, you know, long program. Mm-hmm. Um but it's suffice it to say it's serviceable. It does it gets the job done, they think, and so the crowd reacts you know, very positively. Um, yeah. They're tossing bouquets of flowers. It seems yeah, the announcers, the announcers say, we're in for a major upset tonight. So the expectation is that they they did it. They they nailed it. They did everything they needed to do to secure their spot for the Olympics. But then suddenly those scores pop up. And wouldn't you know it, so this is something that happens in figure skating, as the announcers explained to us. Uh, uh, sometimes the scores reflect quote, more than what's happening out there on the ice. And the judges have their favorites, and they obviously don't include Kate Mosley and Doug Dorsey. So the scores are much lower than they expected. This elicits boos from the crowd. There's shock and outrage. Um, And uh, this, you know, definitely sort of uh, alludes to a a very much real-world theme of you know the whole idea of judging in figure skating and i'll just go ahead and drop in a little another yet one more teaser for the tanya harding story because folks that is something that she was uh certainly uh you know no no stranger to uh to to this happening um but uh but yeah we're led to believe that's it it's over the wiedermans are going to the olympics the movie's done Kate and Doug are out. Uh, they uh, they did their best, but they just couldn't cut it. And uh, Doug is backstage. He's absolutely flipping furious. out. Yeah. Furious. Yeah. Out. This is Flips this out. is hockey player Doug back in action. This is horseshit. What kind of crap are they trying to pull? We skated our asses off out there. You call this a sport? Bullshit. Like yeah, losing it to a point. Yeah, getting a people... five-minute ma- major for some bullshit high-sticking. <laughs> this is horseshit. We skated our asses off that. He's dropping every every curse word, every profanity that he knows in his in his lexicon, in his limited lexicon. This is um, a man. Known you call this a sport? That, bullshit. Yeah, this is something that he would be saying in a little glass box known as the Dorsey penalty box. (laughs) That would be heard by no one, but everyone here at the figure skating, including we've already established a lot of young children, little girls looking up at their idols and Doug is going, this is horseshit. Horseshit. <laughs> That's actually a great point. Literally, like seconds before his backstage tantrum, <laughs> they are kissing young girls who were like handing them flowers and yep. stuff. Um, and then he saves it for backstage to unload. Backstage, suddenly, yeah, he 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 unleashes this tirade. The Weirmans take the ice. They, of course, are the team now that's favored to win that final Olympic spot. Yeah. Well, it's a great little fake out because we're led to believe that that the Weirmans had already skated and that we were like waiting on the scores for Doug and Kate and like that would decide it. But no, they actually hadn't skated yet. then I'm not sure, but it looked like she got caught in his lederhosen. You know what this means. We are in. Yeah! Yeah! We're going to France! Parlez-vous Olympics? Yeah, within seconds, there's a lederhosen accident incident. (laughs) Yes. Um, one of the skaters falls down. She gets caught in uh, her partner's lederhosen. Yes, because they are dressed in a, I would say, somewhat stereotypical sort of traditional German attire or Austrian, perhaps. 
not exactly yes. sure, but going for the old, you know, we're yeah. going to eat some chocolate and hang out next to some windmills, uh, lederhosen <laughs> and, you know, cl- and, and cl- I, clogs for ice skates. I, I will say that, like, to kind of finish the thought on Johnny Mosley and the Dugs flipping out about his score not winning. I looked it up because I was like, my memory, I was like, he won a, Johnny Mosley did win a gold medal. He mm. did. He won a gold medal in 1998 mm. in Nagano, but he won doing traditional tricks. Here we go. Gold medal performance. It's got to be mistake free. Johnny Mosley out the top. There's a double twister spread. Hasn't missed it so far. Now he's got to stay tight and think about ski and turns. Changes his focus as he gets towards the bottom jump. This is the jump. His packing move. He created the dinner roll, a move in 1999. He was doing it for a big air contest for the Winter X Games after he had won the Olympic gold medal for Inagano. Mm. And then basically he created this new move that had never been done. He'd submitted it for officials hoping that he could use it in 2002 in the next Winter Olympics. And he realized that each trick is assigned a point value. And my mistake was that I didn't push for it to be worth more. So it's worth the same amount of points as easier tricks. And that he basically was innovating the sport, but like the the committee didn't recognize it as being harder, more impressive. And wow. ultimately because – and fans were furious because everyone's going down the moguls. And what matters is like time – speed getting down the moguls is ultimately your most important score. The aerial trick is just, can you do an aerial trick while doing your crazy moguls? The point don't really matter about what trick you're doing, but there was a limited set of tricks that people were doing. And Johnny rewrites the game in 1999, creates this move called the dinner roll, which was a, he basically cross his skis in an iron cross fashion, hold his skis and then do it through basically like a 540 tumble roll and then land yeah, and like continue doing moguls. Like, exactly. Yeah, I remember. It looks so sick. It yeah. looks so sick. And at the point, at this point. The, <laughs> and also the, it was called a dinner roll. It was called a dinner such roll. A fucking, dinner such a roll. tight name. Dinner roll. So at the time, the trick was super popular with fans. They were made their displeasure known because he wasn't scored higher. But ultimately, Johnny Mosley became an activist for pushing sports forward by losing that Olympics. And I remember vividly at the 2002 Olympics when he lost, he did the dinner roll on his first run, did not get scored positively for doing it, despite everyone in the crowd losing their minds. And then he had a shot to do it again. And what did Johnny Mosley do? He did the dinner roll again, even though he knew he was going to lose the Olympics. He wanted to prove a point that the sport needed to change. He didn't need to change. He didn't need to go back to the old way. And this is yeah, what Doug is feeling in this moment, that he's like, this is horseshit. Yeah. Horseshit. Oh, man. That's <laughs> that amazing. He feels, he feels that kind of feeling of like the sport is not catching up to our new innovative, uh, forward-thinking, full-blooded Ways. new style of, of, of skating. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, I'm going to throw one, name, one other name out there. Are you guys familiar with a, a figure skater named Surya Bonali? I am not. Does that name ring a bell? No. Okay. I'm going to have to get into her story in like much greater depth, probably during our, our Tanya deep dive. Um, <laughs> but, uh, which is happening, by the way, uh, already pitched and greenlit. Um, <laughs> so, Surya Bonely was a, a female figure skater. She was a French uh, black woman. Um, her father was from Africa, her mother. She, so, she was like adopted in, in France. Um, but she was basically like this, like literally like, like almost like a happy Gilmore type figure. Like that's actually a horrible comparison because that's it. <laughs> but like, she was an incredible, like athletic, uh, like just like gifted figure skater who was the very first woman or maybe like any figure skater to do an actual backflip 
like a full backflip on ice skates. Let's make a statement. Let's just throw something down that'll make everybody talk about me. Well, okay. This is a backflip. She knew that it was illegal. She knew that she was going to get nailed for it. And um, she did it anyways because I'm an athlete who's pushing the boundaries of the sport. We need something different. People went just crazy. I had a standing ovation before I end my program. People were just crazy about it, except the judges. You know, she thumbed her nose at the panel a little bit, but at the same time, she gave the audience something extremely memorable. And, you know, there was a lot of people that placed above her, but I don't really remember a lot of those. People were just nuts overnight. I walk in through the Olympic Village. People say, oh, my God, you crazy, you're the bomb, you're the bomb. I'm like, wow, that was wild. You know, like by males, no, just ladies, because ladies was like, yeah, she's nuts. But the males, you know, hockey players and bobsleigh, anything skiers were like, oh my God, that was the biggest thing I ever seen. That's a bomb. I was like, wow. For 24-year-old Soria Bonley, this night represents the start of a new life her professional debut right here. She began her career as a world-class gymnast, and I'm looking for a backflip tonight. I don't know about you. Soria Bonali. She would get a gigantic applause before she started. It was exciting. She was an exciting skater to watch. When you take the long view of someone like Surya, it's how long did she skate? Longer than most, <laughs> really, honestly. So where's the success? Is it in the moment or is it in the longevity? And was she able to command an audience and a fan base? And I'm a big longevity guy. If you can stick around for a long time and entertain audiences and have them look at you with some anticipation, it's a job done well. in competition. Here's your gold medal winner. For all her years with champions on ice, never missed the backflip. Never even shook. Just perfect. And the backflip, Soria lands on one foot. Do not try that at home. She's the only skater I know who can do a backflip on the one edge. No other woman even comes close to trying that. Soria's never going to be controlled for her, turning pro, it's freeing, it's liberating. How does it feel to finally be able to do that backflip and not be penalized for it? Oh, that's cool. I can do it the same way. It's okay. Nobody's going to yell on me. I will be just free, do what I want. It's cool. Um, which at the time was outlawed in figure skating because, of course, it's like way too cool uh, and awesome and badass. Um, <laughs> but much like Johnny Mosley, this is something that she like kind of took a stand and insisted on doing because she could uh and if you can do a fucking backflip on figure skates like how can you hide that gift from the world and mm -hmm. so she was like no i'm gonna do this um so she she uh she you know achieved some like success she won several like french um you know national championships and then like medaled i think in like a couple olympics or something like that anyway i want to do like a much deeper uh exploration of her because her whole story is like fucking awesome but yeah I love it. To, like, again like innovation that. requires uh throwing out the old rule book and i think doug flipping out Kate is horrified by what she's seeing. But this is like a pretty uh, momentous moment because like, again, like it is, you do leave that first performance and the second performance being like, oh, they got it. Like the first routine, they're basically the announcers say, oh, it's so shocking that Kate and Doug came in third, only to move on. Then you see the second performance and you're like, they got this in the back. They got it in the back. And then you learn, no, they lost. They're not going to the Olympics. Boom, credits roll, movie over. Sorry, folks, mm. nothing to see here. <laughs> no, shocking development. 
what's that shocking development, boys? The leader hosen incident. We the leader hosen yeah. incident. Saved by the leader hosen. So it's the Wiedermans. Um, so they're skating after Doug and Kate. Um, you know, it seems like they only they just have to like kind of get through their routine, get like decent enough scores, and boom, they'll 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 be fine. It'll be in the bag. Um, but then suddenly they hear her. It appears her skate blade got stuck in the gentleman's lederhosen, which forces her to wipe out on the ice. The Wiedermans, uh, the female skater, gets a, her ice pick in the lederhosen and wipes yeah. out. Yeah. And baby Doug is rock hard the second he hears that, oh, on the ice, because he knows what that means. That's hockey player Doug. Something bad just happened out of the ice. Some, there's some, they're, they're shaving blood off the ice. What's going on out there? I, I'm kind of confused why we have this subplot at all. Basically, we're led to believe that... Well, it's just Doug extra drama. It's just a little added, added drama, you know, added yeah. tension. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's just like we're led to believe that Doug and Moira are going to the Olympics, and then they're mm-hmm. not going to the Olympics, and then they're going to the Olympics over the course of like 30 seconds, 20 seconds. Yeah. It's like... Yes, we're going. We did We did a good routine. We're getting these bouquets tossed on the ice. And then they're like, what? The judges fucked us? You gotta yeah. be kidding me. Like, yeah. we really did it. Doug's flipping out backstage. And then there's like the leader hosen. And then he's like, wait, but I See, guess I, we are going. So, I yeah. disagree. Because I think this does establish that their new ways are not going to win judges over. And that it's it came true. back to bite them. Like, cause yeah, you, if they you came right out and like blew the doors off and were in first place and like got there know. without any conflict, you it would be like too easy. Yeah, they're going to yeah. the Olympics and they're going to win. So this sets up that they did things new, innovative way. Doug did the hard work. Kate changed her ways and they lose. <laughs> and yeah. the only reason they're in the Olympics is they on bullshit They snuck in through the back door like a couple so, little like bandits in the night. You know, so they don't like actually have little, proof. Yeah, they don't have proof thieves. that this new routine is going to work. If anything, they're now filled with doubts that this routine mm. ain't the routine that's going to win them gold. Like Very we've just we've just seen that it didn't actually get them Pan out. in earnestly. Yeah. Anton, Mister <laughs> Drunk Soviet, is like we are in. Like he we knows we are in. Yeah. We are in. He doesn't care. He just wants to smash through any way that you can. Mr. Yeah. Gorbachev, tear down <laughs> judging wall. Tear down this judgmental wall. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and and Doug is just yes, always finds its way. Full, folks, full-blooded it always, American. Uh, always yeah. finds its way into the pod. That's such a great <laughs> yeah. point though cuz you're right. Like this this like they're going to France, but they're not like going in on like a way a wave of confidence. They're not nope. favorites. They're not like okay, we know we've cracked the formula. This is going to work. There's still a lot of risk and uncertainty. They have an asterisk next to their names on the program. Yeah, this is a Mickey Mouse to, ring right here. This is yeah. <laughs> they are only here due to a Lederhosen incident, not their talent. Yeah. Not their skills, not their routine. Somebody else ate shit on the ice. And now Hockey Boy gets to go to the 92 Olympics. You can listen to Switch FM. Switch FM. Switch FM. Switch FM. Switch FM. Switch FM.